Well, good morning to you. If you're here with us last week or the week before, you heard me mention that this week we're going to do our uh, annual State of the Communion address, we call it. If you weren't here last week, if you're fairly new here, you might not know what that is. Uh, We said last week it's like the State of the Union address the president does, hopefully better, hopefully a little more interesting, Uh, especially if you're part of our church, it'll be hopefully more interesting to you. It's a look back the last year and kind of a look forward to the next year. Uh, We're not prophets. Uh, We don't know the future. Um, I'm not a prophet, the son of a prophet. In fact, I work for a non-profit organization. (laughs) You probably have heard that one before. Uh, So we don't know the future, but we try to kind of look on the horizon and see what's coming and and talk about some things and um, do some vision casting. And then we also try to root all that in Scripture. And that's usually the order that we do these. Um, Look back, look forward, and then, okay, let's find some Bible verses that relate to what we're talking about. Well, we're going to do it differently this year. Uh, I think this is a better order. This year I want to start with the Bible and then move to some things that are new descriptions for our vision of the church, for how we describe what we do, and then into some specific areas of ministry, and and then in those specific areas of ministry, we'll do both a a look back and a, a look forward, and just know there's no way in the world we can do justice to this. Uh, just like that video only scratched the surface of what happened in 2009, and each one of those little vignettes, you could just open it up and then explore it for, for an hour or, or two. You could, you could talk about it. You know, maybe if you went on a missions trip, you know what it's like to come back afterwards and debrief, Right? You talk about it for a while, you kind of download and make some conclusions and some takeaways from your trip, and so each one of those deserves its own um, time of prayer and thanksgiving and, uh, and thought, analysis. We can't do that at all this morning, uh, but we'll start with Scripture, and we'll talk about some of the highlights of 2009, kind of some things that we think are, are going well and some things that we think we need to give attention to. Uh, in this upcoming year. So turn to Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible. Acts chapter 2, we go here often if we talk about church, because there's a a concentrated section here about what the church is, what the church does. Let me read, starting in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. This is Peter preaching. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. Christ is not only raised, but now ascended into heaven. And Peter says this. Verse 38, he says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. 
And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think three questions we can put to the verses we have here in front of us. Kind of these sort of questions. How, what, and where. The how is the first part of what we read. How a church forms or how a church continues to be formed. How a church is forming. This isn't just an Acts 2 paradigm. It's not just the first century church's paradigm. This continues to happen, right? There's the witness. Verse 38 to 40, Peter preaches. Then there's conversion, verse 41, they believed it, they received it. Then verse 41, there's also baptism, they don't just receive it, but they picture the receiving of that in the waters of baptism, identifying with Christ and his death and resurrection, picturing the washing away of sin. And then you also have in verse 41, they're added to the church, they're added in the number, they're counted among the people. It's not just that they're counted for a heavenly tally. It's not just that they're counted for success stories. They're counted because they're in identity, in community with others around them, with these other Christians. This is how a church forms and how a church continues to be formed. Then there's the what. Verse 42 is the what. What a church devotes itself to. What it devotes itself to. And notice verse 42 at the beginning. It says they were continually devoting themselves to these things. Devoting. Devoting. Like designating themselves. Their selves. Their homes. Their lives. Were designated for these things. Devoted means. Well it's used of, of a boat in the New Testament. When. When Jesus says, go get a boat for us, he uses this same Greek word. A boat that will be designated for us. When he sends the disciples just to go get a boat for them to to go travel in the water with, it's a boat that's designated for them. It's a boat devoted to them, even though the boat doesn't know it. Well, these Christians are designated to do these things. They're devoted and continually devoting themselves to four things in verse 42. We sometimes call them the four pillars of the early church. Teaching. The apostles' teaching or doctrine, instruction, whatever you want to call it. Fellowship is the second one. And not just fellowship like maybe you think of it in terms of getting together and, and shaking hands and exchanging cookies. You know, we think of fellowship in terms of food and jokes with Christians. That's fellowship. Okay, that's kind of fellowship. But the word fellowship means sharing. It means sharing stuff. It means sharing life. It means sharing stories. It means sharing food. Yes, but it means sharing more than that. It means sharing prayer. It means sharing teaching. It means sharing encouragement. It means sharing all of life. 
It means sharing responsibility. It means partnership in the gospel. They also devoted themselves thirdly to the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. Isn't that an interesting thing? How many books in the local Christian bookstores are designated, devoted to this? Being devoted to the Lord's Supper. Well, the early church was devoted to the Lord's Supper. That's what breaking of bread meant. It doesn't just mean they got together and ate food. This is a special kind of breaking of bread, the kind Jesus taught us to do. And the last thing here is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted themselves to prayer. That's the what. And then there's a where. The rest of the verses go on to give us a where. Where the focus should be. Or because it's plural, maybe it should be where the foci should be. No one likes that word foci. No one knows if it should be foci or foci. But focuses isn't right either, so it's plural focus however you want to say it. Where should the focuses be, or the foci be, or the focus plural be? And there's a threefold focus. It's upward, it's inward, and it's outward. Let me show you what I mean. It's upward. Worship. You see, in verse 43, they kept feeling a sense of awe or of fear. This is a word in in, in the New Testament that is often used for the experience of the presence of God. When John experiences Jesus' vision in Revelation 1, remember he sees Jesus there with eyes of fire, a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, brass feet, white hair. He falls at his feet and has this word, awe. Phobos is the Greek word. He has awe. They had a sense of awe. With all this going on, by the way, with all this simplistic stuff going on, what were they just doing in the previous verse? They devoted themselves. Devotion. Oh, devotion. That's not awe-inspiring, is it? Devoting themselves to instruction. Oh, that's not awe-inspiring. Devoting themselves to fellowship, sharing life. That's not awe-inspiring, is it? Devoting themselves to the Lord's Supper? Could anything be less awe-inspiring than a piece of bread in a little cup of juice? They devoted themselves to prayer? Talking? To someone who doesn't seem to be there? Talking to someone who doesn't audibly talk back? Awe? Yeah. God blesses the simple means. He chooses to bless these simple, ordained means for his church so that when we sense awe, we know it's him. It's not the one praying who's giving the awe. It's not the one dishing out the Lord's Supper that's dishing out awe. It's not the one who comes to the house and shakes hands that's bringing the presence of the Lord awe before your family. When that happens, it's God. You also see in verse 47, they're praising God. So this is upward. Their focus is upward, worship. A second focus is inward, what we might call community. What it's called here is fellowship, togetherness. You see it all over, especially in verse 44 
verse 45 where there's that love and safety and the meeting of needs going on. It almost looks like communism, but it's not. Because they're giving up as anyone had need. Not giving up and then someone in charge redistributes. They're giving up as people have needs. It's inward. There is an inward focus, right? There is a care for the body sort of focus here. And it's constant, you could say. You see that in verse 46 when it says, day by day. Or in the same verse, from house to house. Meal to meal. This isn't just, we go to church together. We go to the same church. We attend the same service. The nine o'clock one for early people who like to go out afterwards for lunch. No. This is life shared together. And they have gladness and sincerity, it says in verse 46, about the whole thing. And then the focus also is outward. Mission, we could call it. Outward focus is mission focus. And you see in verse 47, they're having favor with all the people. All the people out there are seeing needs met within. The community itself, the community of the church itself, is reflecting the glory of God, the love of Christ. It is a mission. It is God's glory on display. God, through all that, was adding to their number. How a church is formed, still today the same way, witness, People believing that witness and then being baptized and adding their number to the church. Joining not just in Christ's Lamb's book of life, but joining in the midst of the people. Joining in identifying themselves with the church. Joining in what they devote themselves to. Teaching and fellowship, Lord's Supper and prayer with an upward focus and an inward focus and an outward focus. All right, that's the Bible part. Now, how does that relate to where we are as a church as we turn the page on 09? I know it's, uh, I know it's February. We, we do these sometime in the beginning of the year. So sometimes it's January, and sometimes it's February. This year it's February. Well, a big part of 2009 for our eldership, our leadership team, was attempting to be more clear about what we do and why we do it. I mean, that sounds like a simple exercise, but it actually proved to be really complicated and took hours and hours of meetings. And this isn't the first year that we've talked about it either. To solve that question of what we do and why we do it, who we are and where we're going, those kind of questions, you have to try to answer questions like this. How do you distill what the New Testament says about the church? And it's not just in one passage like this, although this passage gives us enough to chew on, doesn't it? How do you distill what the New Testament says about the church into small and yet accurate categories? And preferably categories that the church can know. So let me put the problem back on you to show you how this relates. How this relates to you. 
How do you describe Desert Springs Church to a friend? When someone asks, tell me about Desert Springs Church, you might say, it's on Osuna. It's down the street from the bigger church. Right? I do that. It's a mile past Calvary. Everyone knows Calvary, right? What do you say to a friend as they ask you about what it's like? You say, well, we have a smart-alecky young pastor. Um, It's kind of young-ish. You might talk about the demographic of it. You might talk about some things we do. You might say, we're about spreading God's glory broader and deeper. And every time you say that to a friend, an angel gets his wings. (laughs) Just so you know. And that's great, right? Everything we're about here can fall under the umbrella of spreading God's glory broader and deeper. We'll talk more about that in just a minute here. But then if you said, if if your friend said to you, tell me more, what what do you mean? Get specific. You'd probably describe something that you're a part of here. If you're involved in missions, you talk about missions. If you're involved in a home group, you talk about your home group. If, If you do a women's Bible study, you talk about a women's Bible study. And that's natural, isn't it? But how do we get from spreading God's glory broader and deeper, which is our mission statement, which covers everything we do, to the about two dozen or so ministries that happen under, under this leadership. Two dozen or so. Go to the church website, and you click on ministries, and there are all these boxes. And some of them are more central to what it means for us to be a church than others. Some of them are niche ministries, and they're good and they're important but not all of them are exactly the same in what they're trying to do. and They're all good. They're all important. They all fit under spreading God's glory broader and deeper. But what are we trying to get at? Are we trying to spread God's glory broader and deeper with a couple dozen or so ministries? That could be the next part of the saying, next part of the mission statement. No. So what I'm about to propose may sound simple enough Once I'm done, it may sound like just a a different packaging for what we already do and what we already say around here. In some ways, that would be true. But actually, like I said, this came out of hours of elders meetings and thinking and praying and waiting. And what you're going to hear this morning is stuff that you're going to hear more and more, repeated more and more. You're going to hear, like you've heard spreading God's glory broader and deeper for four or five years now around here, you're going to hear another layer The other layer is what we talked about and we see up here on the screens, community, worship, and mission. What we saw in Acts 2 was it was upward, worship. It was inward, community. And it was outward, mission. And so these three new things are a bridge between spreading God's glory broader and deeper and the dozens of ministries that we do around here. So let me show you a kind of a fuller chart Community, worship, and mission. We'll come back to those three and narrow in on those in just a little bit. But let's remember that this community, worship, mission thing, well, not remember, let's state it up front. Let's get this out of the way. That these are distinct, in a sense. These are good categories. We, we could draw these categories, these taxonomies, if you like that word, from Acts chapter 2. But there's overlap. I mean, as you're doing mission, if you're doing it together as a church, you're doing it in community. 
If you do worship as a church on Sunday morning in corporate worship, that's also community, isn't it? There's overlap, and, and not just overlap as you see here on the, on the screens between community and worship because they're next to each other, and between worship and mission because they're next to each other. Community and mission are also, are also related. And so you'd almost need a 3D diagram or a, a hologram. We couldn't afford one of those, so we just went with this. And we'll explain that, that it's, it's, a, it's an overlapping thing in all these community, worship, and mission. But like I said, we could draw this in the diagram. This is all under, all for spreading God's glory broader and deeper. These things are ultimately for glory. It's not community for ultimately the purpose of love. Love is the highest good. No. Love is good. But love is good because it's a reflection of God and his love for us and his love within the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity. That's why community is important. Everything to and for God's glory. God himself being the thing that we're ultimately after. So in community, we're after him. We're not just after each other. We're not just liking each other. People are not the end goal. Serving them is not the end goal, but ultimately his glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That's what Paul said in Romans 11. So home groups are ultimately the glory of God. And our corporate worship, of course, is ultimately the glory of God. And of course, of course the mission of the church it's the spread of his glory in the world. We, we go and we tell. We go and we serve because there are places where his glory is not known. How they come to know his glory and be right with that holy glory is through the gospel. So that's the second part, part here. It's underneath that we see the gospel. Underneath community and worship and mission that the gospel comes into play because that undergirds everything. It supports everything. It's the foundation for everything. It feeds into everything. If you've been here long at all, you know that we don't think the gospel is the entrance into God's kingdom. And then you move past it like kindergartners graduate and move on to first grade. But the gospel is always the life lived out. Sanctification, growing in holiness, is nothing more than further understanding and apprehending and applying the gospel to our lives. We're further understanding our need and who we are in him through Christ. The gospel, yes, brings conversion, but the gospel fuels consecration, being made holy. The gospel is the thing upon which everything is built. So there's no community unless we have the gospel as the most fundamental foundation for that community. We won't get along, ultimately, unless we have the gospel to go back to when we offend each other. Worship. Oh, there's no worship apart from the gospel, and that's why we sing so much about the gospel when we come together on Sunday mornings. The mission and the gospel relate like this. The gospel's the content of the mission. 
There's really no mission without the gospel. There might be other things that come alongside the gospel, like acts of service. But they need the gospel. The gospel is the thing that undergirds everything we do. This is obvious because of where we started, but let's not miss this in the diagram. Scripture. Scripture is the thing that feeds these. Scripture is the thing that, that guides these. We don't come up with these terms and we don't come up with these categories simply starting with our own clever thoughts. But God's thoughts, his word. If this chart is accurate, then it's an accurate description of God's word. If it's helpful, then it's a helpful description of God's word. It may not be just rooted in one passage. Systematic theology is like that, right? What is it? It takes the whole Bible and says, okay, what can we conclude about God, about where he is? And then you draw from these places all over the Bible, come to a position that he's everywhere because he's a spirit. He's not bound by by space, by time. He's everywhere. Okay, that's systematic theology. We do it also with the church sometimes where we say, what does God want us to do? Let's boil it down to some things. And what we're saying this morning is community, worship, mission. These are the basics of what God wants us to do. But we know that from Scripture, and Scripture isn't just the guide for what we do. It's the fuel for what we do. It's what feeds us. It's where we go to commune with God. So as we do these things, Scripture saturates all of them to the glory of God. That's where we go to see the gospel. That's where we go to get encouragement in the gospel. That's where the gospel feeds these different pursuits of ministry. And that's now where we get to specifics. That can go over there to the side. Now we can talk about specific ministries. Glory at the top, gospel undergirding, community, worship, and mission, the things that we're doing. We know this from Scripture. Scripture guiding us, saturating us, fueling us, leading to specific things that we do as a church. All right, now let me get into these specifics before I run out of time. Now, let me give some just quick examples in each category of church life, these Categories of worship and community and mission. Let me ask you, by the way, as we start looking at these specifically, to ask yourself, as we go through these, how and where am I doing each of these? How and where am I doing worship? How and where am I doing community? How and where am I doing mission? Because all Christians are called to do these things. Not all the same way, not all the same amount of time, not all with the same gifts, not all in the same exact ministries, but all Christians are called to these general categories of function, of ministry, of reflecting Christ in his body. So with worship, it looks like this. Worship has corporate worship, what we're doing right now. Sunday mornings and Lord's suppers are two corporate worship times where we do Bible and prayer and singing. There's also the context of family worship. There's also the context, though, of private worship. We go from here, from this place, and and hopefully we open the Bible and pray with our kids around the table. 
It may not be every night. You know, that's not exactly in Scripture. If you want to be really literal about how often you should do it, Deuteronomy 6 says every time you get up and every time you go to bed and every time you walk and every time you walk out the door. So you're failing, right? You're, you thought it was bad because you missed some mornings. You're really failing if you want to be legalistic and literal about how often you do it. But you should do it. You should do it. Family worship's a category. And the same goes with private worship or what you might call as devotions or personal Bible reading and prayer. Whatever you want to call it, you need it. You don't go to hell for missing a day, but you need it. Like babies need milk, Peter says, Christians need the word. And then there's that kind of worship too, a kind of a fourth category of worship is everyday worship, everything worship, where doing dishes is worship if I do it thoughtfully, if I do it unto his glory, if I do it consciously in subjection to him and joyfully to him. Everything is worship. So worship takes place like this on Sunday mornings, on Wednesdays in the Lord's Suppers when we meet together for those, around your table or in your living room, wherever you do as you gather the family to read and to pray. When you're alone with God with your Bible and in quiet and prayer, it should be all through the day, at various points as you consciously acknowledge the simple thing you're doing is to God's glory And it's a gift from him. All these things are worship. And everyone is called to all of these kinds and contexts of worship. Everyone, every Christian. So while we'll look at community and say, well, there's some options there. And while we'll look at uh, mission and say, well, there's some options there. Every Christian should be doing these things. Think both event and life. We see it reflected next to moving on to community, though. Let's look at community and think about how corporate worship, as I said already, already overlaps with this and is an expression of community. Community is happening right now, even though we're not talking, even though it's not super intimate. So home groups are a much better place for community. And there are other connecting ministries as well, other teaching ministries as well, huddle groups, men's huddle groups, women's Bible studies. Uh, hospitality ministry, greeters out there in the hallway on Sunday morning, Sunday school teachers, there are other connecting ministries that have some component of community to them. We think home groups is absolutely far and above the best place for this to be done. I'll come back to that. I keep saying that. Hopefully we don't run out of time with all these things I'll come back to. But let me say this about community. Think, event, and identity. Community happens when we come together at a planned time on Sunday morning. That's event. It's a program. But community is our identity. If you ask me as a dad, when my kids are away from me, when I'm not near them, when I'm not actively fathering right then, are you a dad? It's like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a father. I don't have to be fathering to be a father. And we as Christians tend to think that the Christian life is lived out alone. It's me and God. And he calls me sometimes to involve my family in that. And the church occasionally helps me with that. 
either once a week or twice a week, or, or maybe it's for you once a month or something like that, but you see the church as kind of strengthening you for your Christian life. Where is that in the Bible, that distinction between your Christian life as something independent and the church as a strengthening tool for your independent Christian life? Well, that's not in the Bible. Christian life in the Bible is a connected life. It's a communing life. It's a relating life. It's a togethered life. It's in community with others. It's event and identity. And we're okay with event, but we need to grow much more in identity. With mission. A few categories here. We have global mission at our church. We have local mission in our church. Global means faraway countries. Guatemala, North Africa. Then there's local. That means stuff that's here and now. So we have things like the Christmas store. That's local mission. We have things like Christianity Explored, a class where you can bring your non-Christian friends and it can be a non-threatening but informative way to learn about what Christians believe. It's tailored for what Christians believe to non-Christians. Or training you in our ambassador class for how to go out and do it. And so part of the mission is not just the local opportunities that are here at the church and with the church, those corporate opportunities, but also those opportunities you have that no one else has in your sphere of influence, in your life, those personal things, the as you go throughout your life. That's the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says, go, therefore, and preach the gospel. But it's very clear in the Greek that it's not just go like it means leave home. Some will leave home. But some will stay where they are. And as they go, that's the, that's the best translation. As you go, as you go about your life, preach the gospel. As you go, serve and love and point to Christ. So mission is both corporate plans and opportunities, especially when it comes to global, and then it's everyday life, sphere of influence opportunities. So again, ask yourself, how and where am I doing each of these? Now, let's do just a bit of review and forecast for these three different categories, okay? Review and forecast of worship. Well, this is my area in a sense. I, I'm the elder who oversees worship services, and so I could, I could talk long here, but let me just say this personally. We've been in the gospel, according to Luke, since September 08, more than a year now, a year, almost a year and a half, and I love preaching to this church. You folks are Bereans. In Acts 17, Luke records there the Bereans were more noble. We always know this part. They, they heard the word from the apostles and examined it with Scripture, which sounds skeptical. Like, oh yeah, buddy, I'm going to go home and look up in my scrolls and see if you're wrong. If I can prove you wrong, it says right here. Look, the first part of that phrase is they received the word with eagerness and diligently search the scriptures to see if these things were true. And I love that about our church. I love that our church humbly tests me 
tests my teaching, says, what about this verse? How come you didn't talk about this? Where does this fit in? Wait a minute, what about this? But generally, it's a church that's eager to receive the word, and even sometimes when the word isn't, a, isn't dripping honey, but it's coming with a hammer, like Luke has sometimes done for us. I want to encourage you that our Lord's Supper services have grown tremendously. When I first came to this church six and a half years ago, Lord's Supper services happened occasionally. They were supposed to happen quarterly, and then it would be like, oh yeah, it's been nine months and we haven't done one yet. We should do one. And so we started doing them regularly, and everyone, that's not... I came in and did this. Everyone was agreeing. We, we need to change this. We've been doing them regularly. We've been talking about the importance of that. And we used to have, maybe when I first came, about 50 people would show up for Lord's Supper services. I don't know. We don't do counts on Lord's Supper services, but I bet there are 300 or 400 people here. Um, it's a packed place, and I love it. I love that the simple preaching of the gospel and the simple partaking of the elements is central and cherished here in our midst. I could talk long about a review and forecast of worship, but we'll move on to other things. Let me give you a review and forecast of community. And central here is home groups. So let me just get to that. Under J. Rush, our home groups here have grown in number and in people involved, they have almost doubled since the beginning of 2009. Isn't that cool? There are churches in town that are ten times our size and have less home groups than we do. We don't have that many, but we're doing better. We're growing in this. We're adding to the number. We're, we're seeing the importance of them more and more, I think. And so we've grown in the leadership strength of our home groups, grown in the expectations we have for home groups. We've grown, I think, in seeing home groups become a context for true community to happen. Not programmed community, but someone in the home group has a need, and the home group meets the need. I remember one home group telling me, as someone in the home group, some family had a, an emergency, a problem, and... And then the meal ministry heard about the problem as the home group was dealing with the problem and there was almost a fighting of meals. Who's going to meet the need? And the home group was saying to me, I mean, that's done. It was no fight. It was no war. But they were saying, we're with them. We're in this. We're sharing life with them. We're going to feed them. That doesn't mean the meal ministry isn't important at all. That means, that means we're growing in our eagerness to meet needs. And praise God for that. We're growing, I think, in the thoughtfulness about what home groups can do and what role they play here at Desert Springs. So here's how it works. We used to say in the membership class, when we get to the end and say, here's where you can plug in, where you should plug in if you're going to uh, join, if you're going to sign the covenant of fellowship, we'd say, if you're going to sign the covenant of fellowship, there are Several different ways you can be pastorally connected, but home groups probably provide the best way to be pastorally connected. And there are about eight different ways. So like being in Zach's uh, music team, one of the musicians here, is technically a way of being pastorally connected. But we would say, 
they're not meeting weekly. They're, this is okay right now. They're, they're not meeting weekly. They're not meeting for prayer and Bible study and sharing life together like a home group is. And so we haven't been shy about the fact that home groups provide the central and best way for doing community in our church, at least. Well, we, we want to keep saying that. We even want to say it just a little bit louder. Uh, we, we're not to the point of saying that uh, home groups are mandatory for membership, but we want to be louder about the place of home groups because of what we see God doing in them and, and because we want to reflect worship, community, mission, accountability, leadership in the best possible way. And some other connections are good. Some other ministries in our church are good. We don't want to take you from them. But we do want to encourage you, think about getting in a home group. Ask yourself if what you're doing right now allows you to sufficiently do what the Bible says the church should be doing, sharing life together. And maybe you are involved in too many other things. Maybe that's the takeaway for you. Maybe you should give up two out of the four ministries you're involved in so you can get in a home group, maybe. Well, I could talk more about home groups. By the way, the Wednesday Q&A with the elders at our Lord's Supper will be kind of an overflow of this message. There are things I'm not covering that will get covered then. Maybe a question comes to mind, something I've said already or something I'll still say uh, before we're done. Um, We've told you before, if you've heard about this, we're going to do a QA and a at the the Lord's Supper service this coming Wednesday, and we'd encourage you to submit questions. I'll kind of interview the elders, ask them questions on your behalf, and um, um, we've encouraged you to submit those questions to info at desertspringschurch.org, but let me encourage you to do it today, if you have any, with the comment card. Just do the tear-off card, write a question out, drop it in the offering box, and that'll work as well, because it's so easy to forget from... Uh, from here to computer, uh, unless you have email on your phone. Now, let's talk about mission in about three minutes. And Clint just about wet his pants when I said mission in three minutes, because it's a huge category, right? I'm sorry I said wet his pants. Um, that's something else we're going to work on for 2010, but... Uh, You can pray, don't get your hopes up. Uh, Mission's a huge category because it encompasses both global, and that's huge by itself, and local. Uh, Global, listen to this. Let's talk about Guatemala, one of our focus areas. 80 DSCers went on short-term missions trips to Guatemala in 2009. That is awesome. That is awesome. I remember the days when this church had a desire for missions to be more, but didn't know what the next steps were. We said we had big dreams, big desires, but we didn't know what was next. We didn't know what to do. And now other churches actually come to us and say, teach us, tell us what to do. That's amazing. We finished the Achi New Testament translation this last year. As you saw in the video, there's so much work to be done. Opportunities just blossom down there. You go down and you think, oh boy, there's way more to do than we can do. There's way more people needed, more money needed than we could possibly do. We're, we're talking about partnerships with other churches, a, a church in Texas, some other churches here in Albuquerque perhaps that will work with us down in Guatemala, some among the Achi. Perhaps in Guatemala City, Guatemala, as 
everyone says nowadays, is blowing up, which you older folks think that that's bad. It means it's blossoming, it's, it's just growing, it's opportunities galore there. And then there's North Africa, almost the other side of the world, and yet we're planning, preparing for sending our own church planning team there in about a couple of years. We are in partnership with AWM, Arab World Ministries. We have two young DSC families who are in the pipeline, that's the phrase we use, in the pipeline to go, to leave here, and to be sent by Desert Springs to go and be our church planting missionaries there in North Africa. Cody Garrett and Aaron Campbell, you'll hear more about these fine guys. Uh, They both have two to three years of missions experience, specifically in Muslim contexts. And so they're in training right now. You might say, what's going on with the North Africa stuff? A lot of training. A lot of stuff behind the scenes. A lot of planning. A lot of moving. A lot of thinking and praying. So we won't send them in the next year, but you're going to hear a lot about this in the next year. You're going to start hearing about the need to fund this in the next year. So, So get ready. Be praying about the possibility of being strategic of moving this possession off to someone else to free it up and to give, to send. Because if we don't go, we we need to pray and send. But we're all called to mission, global and local. We need to continue to establish a culture of being missional here at this church. We're growing in this I could tell story after story of how we're growing in this, but we have to continue to grow in this. And, and this is the kind of thing that we, we can't do on our own. You can't program a culture of something. You can't just program that. You, you see, some of it's official and corporate and programmatic, like the things we're doing, Christianity Explored, Ambassador Training, how home groups perhaps can be more about mission in our city, other ideas for, uh, for local outreach here connected with the church, official event things. But much of this will have to be taught and caught, and you run with it to your mission field. We need every DSCer buying into this vision that they actually hear our on vision. Uh, sorry, our on mission. They are missionaries, in a sense. They're local missionaries. And so church planning is another way in which we're talking about doing mission here as a church. Um, We want to be a church planning church globally. So we're talking about church planning in North Africa, not just missions or evangelism in North Africa. And, And we want to do church planning locally. So we're about two years away from sending Carlos Griego out on a church plant here. Um, we're excited about that. He's our, our minister for college and young adults. He's been on staff for a while, and uh, he's in training for that. Uh, he's, as you know, an elder candidate. We're watching, we're praying. Um, we're preparing him for that and eager to send him out. Part of that will mean that we align ourselves with the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. I'll tell you more about that on Wednesday. But uh, we're talking about becoming an Acts 29 church, which doesn't mean a denomination. It just means an organization that helps us do church planning better. Um, We want to be a church planning church. We want to grow in partnerships with our churches in town. The short of it is this. We have dreams that are bigger than 
we deserve. God's been better to us than we deserve. We want to be more radical in our plans and our pursuits. We want to be more intentional to you about our visions and communication of that. We haven't done a, I haven't done a great job of beating the drum and reminding us over and over what we're about and what, we, what we're doing here. But we need to remind ourselves, too, that God has to do this. Some of this can be planned and thought out and led, but much of this is beyond what men can do and what programs can do. And so here's the takeaway. Pray. 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 